Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London, today with Stuart Willey and Cara Bentley. The world is moving into a pre-war phase and is far more dangerous than before, and the rules-based order could be at risk. There are new warnings today that the world faces more wars and escalating global conflict. They come from Britain's Defence Minister, Grant Shapps, who set out his thoughts in a speech in London. He's urging more preparations ahead of potential wars with China, Russia, North Korea and Iran in the next five years. The Berlin Wall, a distant memory, moving from a post-war to pre-war world. Today, our adversaries are busy rebuilding their barriers. Old enemies are reanimated. New foes are taking shape. Battle lines are being redrawn. The tanks are literally on Europe's Ukrainian lawn. And the foundation of the world order is being shaken to their core. We stand at this crossroads. Also today, a stark warning from the Prime Minister of Estonia, a NATO member that borders Russia. In an interview with The Times, Kaya Kalas said Russia will soon return as a serious military force threatening NATO's eastern flank. Our intelligence uh, is estimating it to be three to five years. And that really very much depends on how we uh, are managing our unity um, and, and keeping our posture regarding Ukraine, because weakness provokes aggressors, so weakness provokes Russia. And these concerns from European leaders come as US support for future conflicts is in doubt. Last Thursday, John Bolton, a former advisor to President Trump, came on Times Radio and said he thinks NATO is finished if Trump is re-elected. There's no doubt in my mind he would withdraw Uh, If he were elected president, it's a very, very serious matter. And if that happens, I think NATO's finished. Uh, And I don't know what the Europeans would do, but it would be done without U.S. participation. With the U.S. presidential election campaign officially starting today, I asked David Charter, The Times' U.S. editor, in a very chilly Des Moines for the Iowa caucus, how the issue of NATO will play out as a political issue. Yeah, actually, NATO has been quite a big issue that divides the Republican candidates. And also it's a totemic issue, if you like, of the position of the Republican Party, whether it's going to be much more isolationist under a a Trump presidency, an America first presidency, or a more traditional Republican internationalist presidency under, say, uh, Nikki Haley. What's really interesting is that Congress 
is also worried about Trump's potential behaviour to NATO. And it passed legislation in December uh, requiring any president who wants to withdraw to first get the approval of the Senate uh, or an act of Congress in a measure that was a bipartisan and has been signed by President Biden into law. Last night, the terror group Hamas published a video of three Israeli hostages it still holds in Gaza, begging for their lives. That was Noah Argamani, Yossi Sharabi and Tai Tversky introducing themselves and then going on to urge the Israeli government to stop the bombing of Gaza and release them. But of course, we do not know what pressure they were on to say those things. 26-year-old Noah says in that video, stop this madness, bring us home to our families. The video ends with the terrifying caption, tomorrow we will inform you of their fate. The video marked 100 days since Hamas attacked Israel, massacring 1,200 people. Now, this morning, to mark those 100 days since October the 7th, I went to an abandoned factory in East London where there is currently an exhibition in their derelict basements of what the tunnels in Gaza are thought to be like. And it's based on the accounts of those who've been released. And they were, as you can expect, horrible. They were wet, dark, rusty, and the designers of this exhibition had set up dummies of hostages, including under white sheets with bloodstains on to look like dead bodies covered up, and also children sitting on dirty mattresses. You can probably imagine it. Um, But joining me on this walk around the basement was a man whose family could literally still be in the tunnels these were seeking to replicate. His name was Elon Cachette. His cousin is the dad of the two red-headed boys you may recognise from the news, Ariel, who is four, and Fear, who will be one on Thursday. Both of their parents are also still missing. And once we got above ground, Elon told me about the last time he saw them, which was about two months before they were abducted. It was a family uh, gathering, a meeting uh, at, in my uh, grandpa's uh, house. Um, you know, I was playing with Ariel, like uh, he really liked uh, toy trucks, so I played with him in trucks and I held fear that he's the most chill baby ever. He's like, very loving, Not uh, he's not crying when you pass him around from uh, one to another. Now, Elon had come to the UK from Israel to remind people that the hostages are still being held three months later, and I asked him how his emotions have changed as time's gone on. I can't believe we are at 100 days. No one thought it would be this long. It's hard to be optimistic, but, but we must, and, and we believe that they are alive and we must do everything they can, we can to bring them back. This is not about sides. Many people approach us like... Uh, like, it's a, it's a soccer game. Like, which side are you on? I'm not on anyone's side, and it doesn't matter which side you are. A baby has been kidnapped, and he needs to come back home. That's it. This is the most basic request a human can ask for. It, it, again, a baby, a child, they didn't do anything to anyone. So we must unite as a world, as human beings, and say we are not, we are not letting this happen. Now, of course, there will be harrowing stories from Palestinians inside Gaza as well. But it's difficult to argue with Elon's feeling that releasing a baby and a four-year-old should not be about politics, but humanity.
If you listened to Saturday's episode of The World in Ten, you'll know that the self-governing island of Taiwan, off the coast of China, has elected a new president, who many see as favourable to greater separation between the Chinese state and Taiwan. Now, Taiwan is not recognised legally as a country by most of the world. China claims it as its own and routinely makes threats towards it, but the island has its own separate democracy. The president-elect William Lai is from the Democratic Progressive Party, but his opponents think he'll take risks by provoking Beijing. The Times' Asia editor Richard Lloyd Parry gave us this update on the different responses to his election. Governments around the world sent in their congratulations to him. You know, it was a it was a very democratic, clean election, uh, and that's what governments do. But because of Taiwan's peculiar status, because it's not techni- it's not a recognised by most countries as a officially as a uh, an independent state, this uh, is a bit awkward. And the Chinese essentially have gone to everyone who congratulated Taiwan and, and told them off because, in their view, there's nothing to, to congratulate. This is not uh, an election in a sovereign state. It's a bit of nonsense in a province of China which refuses to recognise the truth. One country has already swapped their allegiance, the tiny country of Nauru in the Pacific. It's announced its intention to make formal ties with China. Taiwan's Deputy Foreign Minister Tian Chung Kuang said this was China taking revenge on Lai's election. The US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, however, praised the election and the UK Foreign Secretary, David Cameron, congratulated Mr Lai. Both were told by China to then stop interfering. Now, we often hear about Taylor Swift breaking the internet, but a new record was broken at the weekend and it involved the boyfriend of the difficult-to-avoid pop singer. Travis Kelsey is tight end for NFL side the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chiefs winning against the Dolphins in the NFL wildcard playoffs is now the most-watched live-streaming event in US history. TV network NBC says 28 million watched, making up 30% of all internet traffic in the country during the game. And while NBC was happy, fans were not. They complained that such an important game should have been on TV as well as streamed. What's not clear is what drove this record-breaking day for internet traffic. Theories include fans of Taylor Swift tuning in Mm. to spot her wearing a Chiefs jacket to keep out of the severe cold of the fourth coldest game in NFL history. But a more prosaic explanation could be that weather. That deep freeze that's hitting more than 100 million Americans seeing some of the coldest temperatures in years. Many of us spent the weekend hunkered down in front of our devices. Yeah, not much different in London, we have to say. (laughs) Thank you for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world, though, with the help of The Times of London. See you tomorrow.